This is the Five Point Play Podcast, the diehard Duke basketball fan podcast. The roster for next year is finally set. Let's kick things off, AC, with the two decisions that were made in the last 24 hours. Javin mm-hmm. Delorier deciding to come back. Marquise Golden, unfortunately, as a Duke fan, deciding to take his talents to the NBA draft. Where do you land on both of these decisions? For each of those guys, I think it's the right move. I think, I mean, I, there was nothing else Javin could have done. He he didn't he didn't make a combine. He you know he made a few workouts. Ended up leaving a workout for whatever reason, whether it was because he knew he wasn't going anywhere or whatever. He left a workout or didn't even show up actually. So I I I don't think his head was wholeheartedly in I'm going to the league. I think he was kind of more figuring out, especially for next year, what what does he need to work on. Outside of what Coach K and everybody else is telling me, what else? What do I need to work on to make myself ready for the next step? And you know, and, and his, I'm sure in his jab in mind, what what is going to help me, you know, next season as well to help my team? Because you know, he is a team first guy. He's a great guy. So, I, I, honestly, I think in in that mold, that was his his thought process. I think Quise was he's he's graduated or on on the track to graduate. He is a center that you know kind of doesn't really fit in a lot of places. On top of he's had injury after injury every year. Why not try to go get paid somewhere? Like, if if there is a if there's a niche for him somewhere, and, and either in the NBA, G League, or overseas, and he can start getting play, paid to play basketball, and and not have to worry about you know insurance and not have to worry about paying for for certain things that that come with injuries and things like that, then why not? You know, I mean, like he's and 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 another year in college with more injuries is only going to expose him. So. I, for him, I actually think I honestly think it's the best move personally. I don't know that there was much else he was going to do next season to convince everyone he's ready to be an NBA center. So, yeah, yeah for for Quis, I think it's also the right move. Yeah, selfishly, obviously, you know, we both wanted him to come back and kind of mm-hmm. anchor the, the the front line and and kind of be that mentor for for Perry, certainly. Uh, but I agree. I, I think it's the right move. And and let's not forget that you know at one point this year. Uh, when we were courting uh, both Isaiah Stewart and Vernon Carey, the general consensus around Duke was that Queese was going to leave. Queese was, you know, on track, like you said, to to most likely graduate in the summer. He, you know, had been playing very well during the uh, the the bulk of the ACC season. And I think probably the the straw that broke the camel's back was going down against UNC and then not being fully healthy for any of the March tournaments. Mm-hmm. That probably was like, you know what, I can't come back another year, get another injury, and miss out on uh, another year of potentially getting paid, whether that's getting paid in the G League, whether that's getting paid overseas, whether he, you know, is able to, to be that 12th man on the on NBA roster. Um, I, I think that the extra miles on a big body like that when you've already shown that you're a little bit injury prone, it made that decision a little bit easier. And, you know, I, I was reading earlier in the last 24 hours that he did have a pretty good workout with the Atlanta Hawks. And whether that meant that they kind of you know, gave him a little bit of an assurance of, a you know, we'll give you a two-way deal, uh, you know, probably latch on to their summer league team and see what happens. That was mm-hmm. probably enough for him to say, you know, that's all I needed to hear. Yeah, I, th- I think I think any kind of – any kind of notion that someone in the league or someone who wants to pay you to play basketball is looking at you. I think that was enough for him, especially look, remember when, when Duke was doing the, the pro days there for, uh, for a hot second, 
he was being regarded as not only one of the most surprising guys on the roster in terms of potential NBA talent, but as actually one of the better guys on the roster in terms of NBA talent. So, yeah, you know, he, he's he's obviously had that bug in his ear for a while that that he wants to fulfill that prophecy. So, yeah, man, I mean, yeah. good for him. Good for him. Yeah. And then in terms of, yeah, in t- uh, we're definitely going to miss him. Um, you know, in terms of jabbing, uh, his decision, you know, is, is an interesting one. We were joking about it a couple of podcasts ago that he would declare, you know, and then he obviously goes out and does that. And it's quite mm-hmm. ironic for, for me to say that I felt like our season started to hinge on whether or not Javin Delorier would actually come back. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a, a bitter pill for me to swallow, if you have to admit that, <laughs> but it's true. And that kind of leads us into our second topic, where now the roster is completely set. Uh, Coleman decided he's going to go to East Carolina, be a pirate. Mm-hmm. Good, good for you. Uh, now our roster is set. Now we know exactly who's going to be on our roster, barring some unforeseen uh, transfer reclassification. Uh, we know who's going to be on the roster for next year. Uh, this is going to be a topic that we can really dive into, but for starters, how do you view the roster now knowing how it's set? I, I think it's good. I, I still think, and you know, I maintain my feeling on this from – when we talked about it after, you know, after the, the Cassius and, and Boogie stuff started playing itself out, we, we kind of had, had a topic about it a little bit. This team is still going to be versatile. They're still going to be able to have some interchangeable parts. They're still going to be able to move some guys around the floor and, and, and have, some, have some depth at different places. I, I think the dynamic changes a little bit on defense with Cuisinat coming back. I think he would have been... He would have been a key cog on the team on defense, and I think he would have garnered a fair amount of minutes. Whereas, I, I don't see Javin, you know, taking taking thirty minutes a game from from anyone on on the roster upcoming, mainly because I, I don't think that helps him or anyone else. And and quite frankly, with as versatile as the roster is, it's 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 helpful to be able to rotate guys in and out with with the types of things K is going to be able to do with the squad. You know, I, I don't I don't think we'll magically see K go to, to 10 or 11 guys deep on the roster. But I, I do think 10 guys over the course of the season are going to get close to that 10 minutes per game mark. We kind of saw this year what there were nine guys that, that were at that mark this season. So and, and not even counting Jordan Goldwire, who at the end of the season was starting to see that type of time. So it's it's helpful for the team. It's, it stinks that Quiz is going to be going on defense offensively. I think it makes the team better and more versatile because as Quise is going to have to be on the floor to play defense, he's also going to have to be on offense and the five out with Quise, unless he really does learn how to shoot that jumper really isn't the type of offense that you can run with that guy on the floor. Whereas with Javin, no, he's not really a three point threat, but he's at least if you can get him away out of the, out into a corner and, and move him away from the basket where he's really more comfortable than, you know, by all means do it. And it's just going to spread the floor out a little bit more for for some of the guys that we have to be able to do what they do. Matthew Hurt getting to the basket, Wendell Moore taking advantage of driving angles and such the stuff he does. So and and Trey, of course. So it you know there there is there's a, a light at the end of the tunnel losing you know a guy like Queese who's a really good player, but you know you have to make the best of it. You have to. So we have to think positively about what K can do with the best with this team. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, it's going to be a, a very interesting year. I thought uh, actually. As, as late as, you know, mid-afternoon yesterday before Javin had announced that he was coming back, uh, I actually thought to myself, you know, if neither one of those guys ends up coming back, 
you know, what kind of a fringe top 25 team? Uh, and the reason I say that is our front court would have been so thin, both literally and figuratively speaking, in terms mm-hmm. of numbers. Um, I think at least getting Javin back will allow Hurt to not have to play uh, as many minutes down, you know, in the low post mm-hmm. as he would have otherwise. And and I saw, you know, a couple, you know, posts uh, on some of the message boards today talking about potential starting fives, and that's going to be a hot topic throughout the summer. Oh, yeah. This is one thing that you and I have disagreed with, and I liked her a lot more uh, kind of at the three in terms of offensively. Mm-hmm. But having Javin Delari back means that he won't have to play the three defensively, which right. he would have no business of playing in college. So... At least he gives him a little bit more versatility. Having said right. that, I don't, believe, I don't, I don't think that that necessarily means that uh, Hurt, Terry, and Javin are all going to be on the court at the same time a lot. But it at least gives them another body, gives them another five fouls, and gives them some leadership in the front court. Where at least there's a voice on the back end that is a loud voice, knowing wherever it needs to be, and that that in itself, I think, is going to at least keep us in that top 10 to 15 range the entire season. You know, we have to stay healthy because, like yeah. you said, we only have 10 guys. Mm-hmm. We literally have exactly 10 guys on scholarship, not including, you know, Justin Robinson. But, you know, this, this, this is the 10 guys. I'm going to put you on the spot. It's, you know, May 28th. Where do you see the starting five right now? With Javin being the one coming back and Javin probably getting the start because he's going to be a captain again and he's going to be that kind of senior leader that this team is going to need. And people have kind of thrown out they want to see him in that Emil Jefferson type of role or whatever. I don't know that he can be Emil Jefferson, but the role is the same and the role is there for him to take to be able to rebound, to be able to play defense and to be able to to communicate to the team. So I, I, I really do see Javin coming in as kind of that versatile versatile defender. And the reason I say Javin at least now gives us someone who has been proven in the past to be able to do it, maybe not for long, long stretches, but for times in the game, he's been able to guard guys on the perimeter. So that this that makes Hurt at the three a little more bearable because yeah. Javin can guard one of those perimeter guys now as opposed to Hurt. And I, I do like that feeling a little bit more. And now the question is what happens at that two spot? And more than likely Wendell Moore gets it because he's – a superior defender of anyone else on the team perimeter speaking wise, other than Trey Jones and offensively, he has an ever evolving game and he's, he's that glue guy that pulls things together. So I, I fully believe Wendell Moore's at the two. So I'm thinking Trey at the one Wendell at the two hurt at the three on offense, four on defense, uh, yeah. Yeah, Javin at the four and then Vernon Carey at the five spot. Yeah. The, the term of this team is clearly versatility. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm glad that I was able to convince you that, Matthew Hurt doesn't actually have to play. Well, you didn't convince me. Your boy Javin convinced me. That's who convinced well, okay. me. That's the irony okay, of well, I, I had I had to talk you back into the room here about my main man, my guy, Javin Delarier. I've been behind him. I've been behind him all season long. And I love what so I know. I know he's. I know he's listening. I'm welcome back, Cap. Uh, yes, sir. I'm happy to have him back. Um, in a more serious note. Um, mm-hmm. We talked about it a little bit in the last podcast. Joey Baker and Alex O'Connell, what yeah. roles are they going to play? I think we know what Cassius Stanley is going to be. That, to me, is the big, you know, huge question mark in my head that I can't 
wrap my brain around what is actually going to happen now. Right. And, and it all, it kind of really does hinge on who shows that they're willing to play the style of play that Duke is going to offer. Like Cassius is, you know, he's somebody who's going to want, he's going to want to showcase himself. He's going to want to showcase what he can do. My hope is that he doesn't want to showcase, Hey, look, I can start shooting threes now. Like, right. That's still not his, that's still not his forte. His forte is this defense and athleticism. And this team can take advantage of that with a point guard like Trey Jones. So, so that what that makes Joey and Alex that makes them so much more important because you have two floor spacers there who who will allow you know that that kind of floor spacing for Cassius because you know I've, in the past I have I have compared him a bit to Corey Maggette. Maggette is a better shooter than he is, but with the way they attack the rim, Cassius will be able to attack the rim in the five out and the five out the five out was an audition last year for the squad that we had that couldn't shoot. Now we have a squad that should be able to theoretically should be able to shoot better than what we saw. And it makes that offense look a lot better. And I think Kay has had a year to kind of work kinks out and, and see, see some things with the roster that he had. And and now that's going to make this team at least a little bit better because they're going to play in an offense that really fits their skills a little more than what the team last year had to play with. So, so Joey and, and Alex, as long as they can prove that they deserve time on the floor, really will become those floor spaces that this team is going to need and, and the floor spaces that Kay's going to need to make this offense work. And, you know, they stuck around, they stuck it out. They didn't transfer when everybody said they were going to transfer. You know, Boogie is the one who ended up leaving. I, I got to feel that he felt he wasn't going to get much time because those two are going to see time on top of his Trey Jones comments and everything else like that. Like, I, I really do feel like Alex and, and Joey are going to see some time this year, and, and that's not just me being optimistic. I really do feel like this team needs them. Yeah, well, we certainly need them. That's, that's, you know, that was a lot of kind of hesitancy to, to proclaim that this team would be you know, a mainstay in the top 10. It, it's kind of like on those, those guys, because Wendell's not really, you know, I, I know you think that Wendell's continuing. He's going to be a much improved stuff. shooter, man. I'm telling yeah. you. And, and I, I think we both agree that you're going to see Trey take a step up in his shooting. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Cassius isn't, isn't kind of that shooter, and we, we certainly no. hope that he doesn't sacrifice what he's good at to show that he can shoot threes. And you need that uh, automatic shooter, like you need that guy. Right. Who's, and and who's Alex automatic. has shown Alex has shown that he can be that. Right. And every report that we've heard, uh, outside of the eleven minutes that he played, we've heard that Joey can be that mm-hmm. guy too. Another right. year in the weight room. Think about the guys that he played against all season long last year. Right. He should be able to step in and, and really make a contribution. You know, in our last podcast, we had a couple of recruiting gurus uh, from Devils Illustrated come on mm-hmm. and talk about what is potentially on the horizon for Duke in 2020. Since that time, and that was only a week and a half ago, we've had a little bit of a, uh, of a wrinkle in that. Originally, we talked about uh, Brandon Boston being that guy that everybody felt like, you know, was headed to Duke. Now right. it feels like Kentucky's in the lead for him. And then we kind of jumped into Cave Cunningham's sweepstakes. Can you sort this out for us? I, I mean, I don't <laughs> need to go get the – I don't want to go get the Devil's Illustrated guys. I don't want to get Clint back. <laughs> we don't have to, to bother him right now. Make sense of this for, for all of our listeners. It's, it's a move that makes sense for, for Duke in terms of what Cade Cunningham offers, which is – K's favorite thing, which is having two point guards on the floor. So, you know, Jer- Jeremy Roach, let's, pre- let's presume Trey is gone. Let's presume he has the season that he needs to get to the NBA. 
So then you have Jeremy Roach as our, our floor leader. And then Cade Cunning is another Cade Cunningham, excuse me, is another guy who is he's listed in a lot of services as a small forward. That dude's a point guard. He's a six, seven point guard, and he's he's got amazing floor vision, drives at will, has a really good shot on the move, not necessarily a great standstill shot right now. But you know, the guy's a baller. He is he's going to end up being one of the top five prospects in the draft for this for this class moving forward, especially with his size and his ability to play the point. And that's what he's going to play in the league. And a school like Duke is going to be able to to showcase that. Whereas recently, fairly recently, Kentucky hasn't been able to showcase a lot of their point guards as much as they've been able to showcase their off guards. And I really I honestly feel like that maybe on, on a surface level. Yeah, I don't know what goes on behind the scenes, but on a surface level, you know, maybe that is what kind of drove you know, BJ Boston to to go more lean to more towards the Kentucky side of things and maybe Cade Cunningham leaning more towards the Duke side of things. It I think it works out for both teams because in my opinion, if it does play out this way, in my opinion, I think Cade Cunningham is going to be a better one year college player than BJ Boston. I think BJ Boston definitely has some long term potential there because of his length and shooting ability and things that other people are talking about that doesn't always translate to your first year in college right out of high school that translates sometimes to three and four years down the road in the NBA. Whereas I think Kate Cunningham year one in college is going to dominate. So I like it. I, I hope it plan, pans out that way. I, I don't think Duke is worth any worse for the wear. I know a lot of people are playing the we're losing a shooter game, and everybody is so gun shy about what happened with this team this year. I get it, but Duke shooting 30% from the floor from three is a, an extreme anomaly that has never happened before and will never happen again. I'm really confident in saying that. And, and I think that if Jalen Johnson matriculates, which I think he will, and if Kate Cunningham ends up at Duke, I don't, I don't think shooting is going to be an issue with the squad. I think it's going to be a very good team. And to, and to wrap it up, Kate Cunningham has talked about the fact that him and Jeremy Roach are, are good friends, correct? And he will mm-hmm. play alongside him. Yeah, all so, of a sudden you hear that, right? Like right? you weren't so, hearing that before when he was when he was a hundred percent going to Kentucky, according to the Crystal Ball on twenty two four seven Sports. Like he was, it was all about the Kentucky guys, and now all of a sudden he and Jeremy Roach are talking and and yeah. having conversations about how they can play together. Isn't that funny how that happens? Yeah, and we talked about it as soon as Jeremy Roach uh, committed to Duke. That it was nice to get that point guard. It's always nice to get that point guard to be your it first is, commit, especially when you have a guy like him that is going to attract a lot of other guys. We both mm-hmm. still feel really good about all the other guys that we've talked about in the last podcast. Uh, Jalen Johnson, obviously, yeah. uh, Walker Kessler, and a lot of mm-hmm. others. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens over the next uh, couple months for, for, for sure. And uh, but let's, let me point out one more thing about Kate Cunningham, too. With a guy who is as dominant as he is and who can move the ball, that's such an easy recruiting piece because – He's not a ball hog. He's not a guy that's not going to yeah. get you the ball. So that's easy for Kay to say, look, man, to Walker Kessler, hey, I got two point guards on the floor now who can get you the ball. Right. And you're not going to get double teamed because none of those guys can get double teamed. Like, this is great news for you. Like, don't look at this as a bad thing. Look, this is a good thing. Jalen Johnson, don't He's think that. Right. Don't don't think, Jalen Johnson, that you're not going to get the ball, dude. I got two guys who want to get you the ball, and you're going to make their life easier. Like, this is such an easy recruiting piece for Kay. Yeah, it's certainly a lot easier to show that you're saying, hey, look, the ball's not going to get stuck anywhere else. So mm-hmm. everybody's going to get touches here. Wouldn't you want to play with someone like that? And, Absolutely. You know, one of the, one of the you know, knocks on this year's team was 
talking about how the, the ball kind of got stuck certain places. So, right. uh, you know, it's going to be interesting again to see what happens over the, over the coming months with some of these recruits. I still think that Jalen Johnson will probably be the next guy to commit to, mm-hmm. to Duke, and that's going to be even more tasty if you're paid funny hand to say, I want oh, to yeah. join those guys. Oh, so yeah. we'll, see, we'll see what happens. But, you know, in all of this talk, uh, there was something that happened today that was, you know, kind of took us aback and, and made us rethink uh, what we were going to talk about tonight yeah. in terms of what is the landscape of college basketball going to be over the next four to ten years? Because you have, you know, presumably the one and done going away in the next couple of years. You have, you know, the G League kind of popping up as a potentially viable option for guys. Uh, you have uh, the transport portal, and I know that that's a hot topic with you, talking mm-hmm. about, you know, how much less paperwork and how much easier it is for guys to be able to transfer between all these schools. We've seen North Carolina take full advantage of that just yeah. this past year. And then we have what happened today, which was Andre Hampton, a guy that, you know, we certainly wanted at Duke uh, more so for next year, coming out today on ESPN this morning and saying, you know what, guys, I had no desire to play college basketball whatsoever. It was just a vehicle to get me to the NBA. So I'm just going to say, screw it. I'm going to focus on basketball 100%. I'm going to go to New Zealand and play professional basketball for one year. I think that that'll prepare me better for the NBA. AC, there's a lot there, obviously. But, a, yeah. <laughs> you know, there's a lot to unpack there, and I'm not sure that we have enough time to, to unpack at all. But the next four to ten years of the college basketball landscape, it seems like there's a lot of places that can – you know, attract kids and, you know, virtually dollars and eyeballs away mm-hmm. from the college basketball game. Where do you see it? And aren't there real threats there? I think there's real threats for some of these super recruits in high school, you know, make, make obviously the, obviously the, the top tier guys that are chosen to be elite, they'll be able to sign agents and you know, all, this, all the other stuff that the NCAA is allowing with that whole process. And those guys are obviously going to be one and done when the new rule comes out. This, this is all, we're all looking at 20, 2022 right now. I'm not worried about 2020, 2021. That's, that's going to be college basketball as we know it for the most part. You might get the occasional one or two recruits who see overseas as an option. You know, RJ Hampton can go overseas and be a lottery pick next year, and he's going to be no different than Emmanuel Moutier. And yeah. and not 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 in terms of his potential or, or anything. I'm just saying, Emmanuel Moutier went overseas, and people still knew who he was when he came back. He went to China, nobody cared that he was in China, and then he came back and was still a lottery pick. Same same story is going to happen for R.J. Hampton. That like nobody nobody's disputing that fact. But mo- most of these 17 and 18 year olds aren't willing to go overseas and and play basketball when they haven't even left their own hometown for the most part. So. I'm not worried about that in the next couple of years about that. But as you mentioned, the four to 10 year mark, that is, that's going to be huge for college basketball. The NCAA is going to have to figure out a way to allow these guys to make money on their name in some way, some shape or form, be it social media, be it Jersey sales, something they're going to have to figure out a way to make that work. I'm, I'm not talking stipends. I'm not talking paying players. The NCAA is going to have to figure that out because the attraction to go overseas is going to be bigger. The attraction to go one and done is going to be bigger. And the attraction to make $125,000 in the G League is going to be bigger, especially if 
a few of these guys make it work for them. Darius Basley is the Basley is the the latest guy really to do that from last class. Let's see what happens with him uh, in the next couple of years because guys are going to look at his progression and say, "Oh, you know what? He did it. He made it. I'm better than that dude. I'm going to try it too." So, you know, the egos are going to be there. Everything else, it's this one's on the NCAA. Mm-hmm. There's always there's always a place for kids whose parents went to college and they want to go to that school and they've grown up loving college basketball. They're not one and done players. Like the team basketball element that people love so much about the NCAA is always going to be there and it, it's always going to have a seat at the table. There's always going to be a product available there. But are you gonna are you gonna be able to get? You're not gonna be able to get guys like Zion anymore because they're going straight to the league. But all right, the next tier down. Are you gonna be able to convince one of those guys who maybe just by one year of college basketball at a good place, getting to the NCAA tournament with a great brand, can become a number one pick and make you know millions of dollars? Whereas they might not have done that if they came straight out of high school. Are you gonna be able to attract those guys? Because those are the guys you're gonna be on the fence of losing. The transfer portal. What was it? It was like 700 names on the transfer portal this year or something like that. Now, it's easy for guys down. Now they can just put their name in, see what kind of attraction they get from some of the bigger schools, and, and then move on. So now our big school is going to poach from little schools who kind of get these guys to transfer. And, and then you kind of lose that Cinderella aspect that the NCAA sells so well. They do, that's, that's, if they do anything right, they sell the Cinderella better than anybody else in, in any sport. So now you're in danger of losing that a bit if you're in the NCAA because of the transfer portal. So you got to be careful with, you know, what hoops do you make them jump through to be able to keep playing basketball at a competitive level that they want to play. So it's like you said, a lot to unpack. I know I just rambled on a lot about that, but I mean, that's all there, man. It's all out there. Yeah, no, I mean, there, there is so much to unpack. And, you know, one of the things about the one and done rule changing, you know, everybody says, uh, I've read so many people say, well, that's, you know, that's great. It's awesome that the one done rule changing. First of all, it just means that players are going to be able to go to the NBA right out of high school. It doesn't mm-hmm. mean that the one and done is going anywhere. Mm-hmm. It just means that a lot of guys, especially early on. So let's say that in 2022, the rule is, you know, is gone and players can go right out of high school. What I believe is going to happen is that you're going to see an inordinate amount of kids that are, you know, top 25, top 30, they might all just throw their name in. Mm-hmm. And what's going to end up happening is I think that a lot of kids out of high school are going to end up getting drafted much higher than they probably should be. Mm-hmm. And then as the years go on and players that came straight out of high school continue to wash out and they stop getting picked as high as they are, I think you're going to see more kids explore the other options. Right. I think that there should be some sort of rule in the NBA that if you're not guaranteed a top 20 pick, then you're not allowed to be in the NBA draft. I just, it's, it's, it just hurts me so much. I understand it's not. It, because I just think that you're, you're ruining these kids' lives. And maybe mm-hmm. it's the first round. Maybe it's the first round guarantee where, you know, if, if you're not drafted in the first round, then you're free to go wherever you want. I don't care if you signed it with an agent or whatever. You're free to go wherever you want. Um, because that was the old rule, right? Where, right. you know, it, as soon as the deadline was met, even if you can sign with an agent, uh, if you don't come back by this deadline, you're not coming back. And I just don't right. think that's fair. No. Uh, the NCAA specifically cannot do anything to continue to tarnish their own image. They are the kings of shooting themselves in the foot. <laughs> and 
it's mind-boggling how many moronic decisions that they make for being a billion-dollar corporation. And that's what they are. They're a billion-dollar corporation. I've never, I, I've, I've always believed that, yeah, it'd be great for, for kids to be able to make money off their likeness. Uh, the fact that Zion can't get a dollar uh, legally is just absurd to me. Yeah. But at the end of the day, there are only so many guys that can command getting money. So I just think it opens up a, a huge Pandora's box when you talk about paying players um, on their likeness or any other way, because it's always going to come down to the schools that have the biggest boosters, the, the biggest alumni uh, you know, grants. Those are going to be the things that get paid the most. They'll make sure that, you know, so-and-so's jersey uh, autograph or, you know, name is thrown into the paper, however they're going to do it. They're going to make sure that that kid gets the most amount of money. And here's the question I always ask when, when I'm, when I'm kind of, when somebody says exactly what you said, which I, I don't disagree with you at all. Let me start there. I don't disagree because it is, it's a little bit delicate. It's a delicate situation because you're talking about something that is considered a sport and not something academic. But if you if you want to go if you want to go into business, where do you want to go? Do you want to go to Harvard or do you want to go to Coastal Carolina, for instance? Like you want to go to Harvard, like <laughs> that's that's yeah, where but... you want to go. Like, but then here's the point, and here's the point of fairness because we talk about fairness with these athletes so often. And quite honestly, if if the NCAA finally just gets rid of saying either a student athlete or b fairness, then I'm all on board because on in one hand they want it to be fair. For, for everything, but on the other hand, the college athletes are the only people, college athletes on scholarship, full scholarship, are the only people on campus who aren't allowed to have a job to make money for themselves. Yeah, yeah that's the biggest they, you know, thing They have the so many rules against them that, that other kids don't have. Like, a kid can say, oh, I'm going to accept a job at Booz Allen as a freshman, but, oh, you know what, I don't want to do that, I want to come back to school, so they can do that. You know, these guys can't do that and continue their craft, which is basketball. Basketball is their craft. So, you know, un- until we we stop playing the fairness game, or or basketball is considered in some way, shape, or form a part of their curriculum or something, then it's the, the fairness thing needs to go away and just say what say, say what it is. Just say these guys are athletes. This thing is a sport. It's a privilege. Whatever else, and and that's the line that we're drawing. And you know what? The the kids who still want to go do that, then by all means, you know exactly what you're signing up for, and you can't play the game of well, I'm not making money or I'm not doing this. You know, you know exactly what this is about. So, you know, tough, tough shit, really, well, <laughs> quite honestly. Well, well, you know, it's funny. The uh, the former uh, Ohio State quarterback, you know, Cardale Jones, his mm-hmm. famous tweet, I didn't come here to play school. Like yeah. that, that, that is exactly the point. Like these guys, they're not coming to Duke. They're not coming to North Carolina. They're not mm-hmm. coming to Kentucky. They're not going to Alabama football, Ohio State, Texas, uh, Clemson, LSU, they're not going there for school. They're no. going there for their job. Their job is that sport. And exactly. I don't care if you're Antonio Rankovic or Zion Williamson, that is your life when mm-hmm. you are at a, a, a top-tier program. So stop bullshitting around. Stop saying that it's about school. It's not. Yep. These aren't not. student athletes. They're, they're athletes, and then they're, they're forced to go into classes. Right. So maybe, maybe it's a situation where uh, you know, their credits during their season are all for that sport. Or you know, you know what know, else? That's a, that's a radical thing, but I'm just saying that. Let's right. take out the box here. 
No, no, no. That's that's not a bad idea. I love that idea, actually. And and we, I think we've talked offline about that a little bit. Make make practice a part of their curriculum. Like they get so many credit hours for that. Say what it is, man. And you know, how about instead of you know, you're they they made that ridiculous rule where you're only allowed to practice so many hours. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, what is that? Is that because you're scared about them getting hurt, or is that because you're trying to pretend like they're supposed to go to, to class? That was how that was this? the one. <laughs> and and how and how about this? How about uh. You know, for uh, five hours a week, one hour per day, uh, you bring in some sort of uh, business or agent or, you know, coach where you're teaching them, you know, how to manage their money, manage their social networks, Mm -hmm. uh, manage their, you know, their family, the the people that are going to be coming out of the woodwork, uh, all these different things. Um, Maybe they should be having that as part of their curriculum and that's five credit hours a week. Because then, if you uh, yeah. as the NCAA, you get rid of the stigma of, well, look at you, you're taking advantage of all these underprivileged kids from from the ghettos of America. Yeah. Like, yeah, so many players, you know, ultimately it's so sad. You know, so many players, mm-hmm. you know, go broke by the time that they're 40 years old, mm-hmm. and that that's yeah. just, that's a tragedy. So, yeah, you know, this this is one that, you know, it, it shouldn't have taken to 2019 to have <laughs> a lot of these conversations. It, it's absurd. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, it, it's sad, really, to, to be honest with you. Yeah, well, we held, we for so long, fans, the the people who are buying this product, bought into and held on to that term student athlete so much, man. And now you're starting to see people finally are willing to say, you know, it is what it is. These guys aren't; they're not here for school. It is what it is. And I'm and I'm still, as an alumnus of the school, I'm still willing to stand behind that guy. Even though he says he doesn't want to go to the alma mater that I broke my back, you know, carrying books all across campus for, he wants to be here for my basketball team and my football team. So I'm, I'm in. I'm all in now. So you're and, starting and to guess, see fans. And guess with what? you'll make that trade every single day. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> it brings uh, attention and notoriety and publicity positively to your school. Yeah, I'll take that every day. If it means mm-hmm. Zion Williams is coming to, to Duke, yeah, I'll make the trade every single day. Um, we're going to be talking about this topic throughout the throughout the summer, uh, but mm-hmm. we we do want to introduce our final topic, uh, and in a different series for the Five Point Play podcast, it's called the Five Point Play Podcast Summer Series. Uh, we actually have a spot. AC, we have a sponsor for this. Another one? Yeah, we we have another sponsor. Again, I've been hard on the phones over Memorial Day weekend. Uh, getting an advertisement, we were able to land one this morning uh, on my way to work. It is Natural Light, sponsored by Natty Light, this five-point play summer series, Stay Hydrated, We're Basically Water. Uh, and so for, <laughs> for, the, 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 for the first one, we're going to kick this off. We're going to talk about the top point guards ever in Duke basketball history. I love it. Let's start right at the top. Before we get to honorable mentions, before we go through mm-hmm. our list, Let's start at the right of the top because I think we might have differing top point guards. Who do you got? <sighs> I I mean, I I can't go I can't go with anybody but Jason Williams, man. I can't do it. I, yeah. I can't. Yeah, and, and I, I knew you, and we would go with him. And <laughs> it's funny because you know I think we even have one of these topics earlier in the year, and I might even I might have even gone Jason Williams. He, he was awesome. He's the best finisher I've ever seen him do. Yeah. Yeah, I've I've never seen I've never seen someone at will just get to the rack the way he did, and then oh by the way he shoots threes better than just about anybody you've seen. 
and uh, with guys draped all over him and you know and then and then he he averaged six six assists a game and and then on top of that yeah 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 and 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 people don't think about that much but he and and in the three years he's a two thousand point scorer in three years he would have easily broken johnny dawkins record and i don't know that jj would have gotten to the number that that jason got to in in four years but Mm -hmm. i was reading a little bit on my way home again, and I went right back to Bobby Hurley. I mm-hmm. just, you, you look at the pure. You can't go wrong. Guard. Yeah, you can't. There's no wrong answer here. Uh, but, you know, yeah, we can talk about the fact that he leads the NCAA in all time assists. Mm-hmm. But he actually has four of the top five top assists, of, uh, top total assists for a season in, in Duke history. The yeah. only reason that he doesn't have all four top four. Tommy Amica has the other one, and we'll get to him, mm-hmm. is that he only played 31 games in his sophomore year. Right. And that, that actually, uh, excuse me, junior year. So that yeah. actually uh, kind of cost him uh, a little bit more there. Otherwise, he would have the most assists all time in a season, one through four, all to himself. The right. guy was a freak. And, and then after, you know, Leitner, you know, graduates and he's a, jun- uh, he's a senior, um, he averages 17 points and 8.8 assists a game. You don't see yeah. those kind of numbers from. And he shot like forty percent. He shot like forty percent from three on like two or th- uh, two or three makes a game. Like he shot like four or five uh, threes a game in an era where you didn't really shoot much. You know, shoot threes that often. So, I, I, yeah. I mean, hey man, it's it's tough, man. <laughs> it's difficult. It's tough. And, and Jason Williams actually had the second highest uh, points total for a season behind Jason mm-hmm. Reddick. So. Yep. Yep. You know, yeah, he, he had the record for himself he, for a second. Right, and and so like he's a guy that could literally do it all. And mm-hmm. he he one thing I loved about both of these guys, uh, both New Jersey dudes, they had just massive chips on their shoulder. And when you got them going, and usually they usually thrive off of negativity, whether right. it's from their teammates, uh, in, in Bobby's case, or the, the the opposing fans in Jason's case, mm-hmm. they 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 would get this fire burning. And they would just turn it to another level, to another gear, and it was so much fun to watch. And here's here's the other question I asked too, and this is not not detracting from anything Bobby did or anything. Do you think Bobby? And this is a hypothetical question. Do you think Bobby gets the same same assist numbers and things like that if he ever shared the floor with another point guard? No, I mean probably not. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean just just based on. So then does that change? Does that change how you feel about him? I, like well, we can't no, we can't change his, that, his no, it career. Doesn't. It doesn't, and the only reason okay. I say that is because, and that's why I led off with, yeah, you can easily point to the fact that he has the most career assists, but he was so mm-hmm. much more than that. Right, he right. He was so okay. much more yeah. than that. And, I agree. You know, yeah. So that's and, and and he was a dog on the defensive end. Yeah, uh, yeah. I don't, yeah, I don't disagree. What he so, led the team in steals for for what three out of his four years there. Yeah, and I took him on to see he averaged you know two plus steals a game mm-hmm. in his senior year. Like the guy, the guy did it all. He was a first team All American. Obviously, you know, Jason Williams is the, the national player of the year. Uh, unanimous his, his junior year and was, you know, first team All-American both his sophomore and junior year. So, and, and let's, everybody remembers the shot that Bobby Hurley hit against mm-hmm. UNLV in the, in the Final Four. Uh, let's not forget that, you know, even though he had a kind of an overall rough game against Arizona in the National Championship, yeah. Jason Williams hit the big three at the end the to seal that game. He hit the dagger yep. three to end the game. Yep. And, um, you know, I think most people, you know, forget about that three. Uh, oh, yeah. And it was, it was huge. 
So we, I think we, I think we're consensus on who we're on the top two, and it's kind of everybody mm-hmm. else after that. Yeah, that's where yeah. do you kind of land on the? I don't, you don't need to like rank it three through five or sure. Or so, but who are the guys that you kind of have in that that conversation? I love, I love Chris Duhon. I love Tyus Jones. Like Tyus, for me, it's after those two. I think Tyus is next for for wow. And 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 minus the national. Let's 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 just take the national championship as a team a team win, but he was an integral part of it. And he made that conglomeration of guys go like we've seen yeah. the one and done era at Duke and the one and done era takes a really special point guard to make those things fit together. We saw it early in the season this year with Trey. So, you know, for Tyus to have the season he had and then to continue to get better the way he did and evolve his game to the point where he was a, a go-to type score for this team. And on top of, the the pretty dimes he was throwing and and all that like I I take I take Tyus any day of the week to run my team up there so and then of course there yeah, you got Duhan you got you got the guys who played point guard who weren't you know always point guards in the role like John Shire like you know the guys like that like who who do you have like who's who are you putting there yeah no certainly the guys that you just talked about uh, Duhan you know he's second in Duke's all time assist you know rankings Duhan mm-hmm. had one of the more kind of unheralded career for somebody who did so much. He, he was, was so up and down. Yeah, he was. And that's what and happened. Kind of, yeah, and, and kind of like in the, those middle two years. Um, yeah. You know, he, he, we, I think we expected a lot more of him in his sophomore year. And then his junior year, it kind of tailed off a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then his senior year, you know, leading us back to the final four. Right. Uh, and he was a dog. And he, was, he, he got right back to where we needed him to be. Um, you know, playing with Ewing and, and Reddick. That was one of my favorite backcourts that we've had in a long oh, time. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the other guy that, you know, I think doesn't get mentioned, doesn't get mentioned as much with those guys is, is Tommy Amaker. And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to me, Tommy Amaker, uh, you know, obviously he was the National Defensive Player of the Year in, 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 in 1987. Uh, he averaged, you know, you know, six, you know, over about six points, uh, six assists a game. Uh, he was on those on those teams with, with Johnny Dawkins, who was obviously the the two guard there, the shooting guard uh, that you know was was the was the focal point of those teams. But I felt like Tommy Amaker was was really Coach K's first war general that he kind of you know played through. You know the mm-hmm. coach on the floor, Tommy Amaker did it all, and I think he's kind of unheralded as as the, the more guys that we have come through Duke. And the, the further that class is, uh, is in the distance, um, I just think that Amaker, when he joined that, that group, uh, you know, he made that team special. Mm-hmm. And, so and he signifies kind of that first Coach K double point guard back, backcourt, too. So then that gives, that, that gives me a question for you. Yeah, well, no, I mean, let's just, you know, before you, before you say that, um, uh-huh. you know, I mean, he, so Johnny Dawkins was a shooting guard, but continue. I was gonna, that's my question. Is Johnny Dawkins a point guard? No, he's not a point guard. He's a shooting guard. Why is that? Because he's a shooting guard. Uh, you know, can he handle the ball? Yeah. Now, I think the better question there is, when you talked about Chris Duhon and Jason Williams. Mm-hmm. Duhon, you know, kind of took over the point and moved Jason Williams to the two. Mm-hmm. Would you say that Jason Williams was a point guard there or a shooting guard? I still think he was a point guard. He was bringing the ball up the floor the I entire agree. game. I agree. And, and, Johnny and Dawkins, was Johnny Dawkins doing that? No. Eh, yeah. Look yeah. back. Uh, look at yeah, the Navy, just look back. at the Navy game. Just look at the Navy game. Uh, he had that ball ninety percent of the game. 
and, and does walk. and does bringing the ball up the floor automatically say I'm the point guard? Like, is that the only is that the only qualification? Yeah, no, it's not, it's not the it's not the it's not the only thing. But if we go down, look back at the rosters, uh, just going back to like the, the left column where it has the uh, okay. the position next to the names, and, and it has you know point guard, shooting guard. Yeah, yeah. he's shooting guard next to uh, to Johnny Dawkins. Yeah, I mean, that's because they had to do that. Cade was talking positionless and, basketball back in the eighties. <laughs> were you around when you were in diapers uh, listening to Coach? K <laughs> yeah, and, man, uh, listen to Coach K podcast in the eighties. <laughs> oh, they on the podcast in the eighties. Yeah, eight <laughs> yeah, track podcast. Was, yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> I knew he was ahead of the game, but I would yeah, like yeah. you know I'd like to see the headsets that they were wearing for for podcasts as they're you know, right, right. They were enormous. But, you know, his first three years though, he was he was the point guard of the team. His first years was he not? I think you're you're. you're well, no, taking... it's it's valid. So okay, do you consider the so the year Kyrie got hurt, who slid to the point guard position? I think you know that's a that's an interesting scenario, right? And and it's kind of like what happened the year prior, mm-hmm. uh, where you know John Shire, I wouldn't consider him a point guard, but he slid into you know exactly what you just said that you didn't want to talk about, which is. You're not just a point guard if you're running the ball off the floor, but that's basically mm-hmm. what Shire was. Just because you're running the ball off the floor doesn't necessarily make you a point guard. And exactly. So, so I guess that begs the question: then, what becomes? So, I'm not, okay, I guess that. Yeah, let's bring it back. Would Tommy Amaker be any other position other than a point guard? And I agree with you. No, he would ball... not. Okay, so we, we he would be he, the point guard. He was the point guard. Okay, right. and because he didn't do much scoring. Yeah, while, while Johnny, you know, you can still, yeah, how about when, you know, William Avery came in and it was Lojo's senior year? Uh, you know, a couple of guys just, that are on my honorable mentions. I love but then again, Avery. we have Jason Williams who scores 20 points a game and we consider him a point guard. So again, what is it? I think, I think it's, it's such a fine line. Like it is, it it's is so subjective. Like, it is, but I think, you know. And it's that. so hard to put him in a place. Johnny Dawkins is so hard to put him in a place because. Because he was a point guard for his first three, he was the he was the guy, the only guy. There was no Amic or anything backing him up. His first few years, I think, I think like, he was the only playmaker, the guy, the, the only guy that mm-hmm. could go out there and make plays for himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas, you know, you know, it's funny because like, you know, Chris Duhon, you know, while he racked up a lot of assists, do you look mm-hmm. at him as somebody that could go out and make plays for himself? Or because I don't really think he could ever make plays for himself, but he yeah, like his senior season, he yeah, he right. scored a little bit of senior season, but he was never like, hey, give Chris the ball, he's gonna go get it. Like, no, nah, that was right. a little ding doing that towards the end of the season. Like, the offense was set up for JJ to run off screens and get him shots in a different way. He wasn't dribbling the ball to get his shots. He was running crazy off of screens like Richard Hamilton getting his shots. Like, yeah, it's like, how do you get your shots? Where where do you put uh, you know? William Avery, Wojciechowski, Quinn Cook. Where do you kind of put those guys in? In, in I think we're all in that honorable mention. I'm sure I'm leaving Quinn Snyder, yeah. guys yeah. that you know we're we're leaving out. Um, where do you kind of put those guys in in the the threshold of top two point guards? I mean, they they all have to be considered up there, and it's like, how far do you go? Do you go? You talk about an entire body of a career. Do you talk about you know, one season, one season, you know, even though it was a horrible season for Duke, you know, you have Jeff Cable who ran the point guard for Duke there. Even when, even when Wojo was there, like he was, yeah. he was kind of Duke's point guard. Like it, it, you know, it's, it's, it's just so, it's so difficult and so subjective to, you know, figure out what do you consider 
because because people have this argument all the time pass versus versus scoring like what helps your team better like what helps that particular team better like bobby no. hurley on the team with jason williams and batty and them do they have the same national championship type season and does leitner and grant hill do their skills flourish with jason williams as their point guard i don't know i don't i don't know if that's the case quite honestly yeah, because I, I, yeah i don't know but i'd like to see you, it i'd like to see yeah it. right so i want to i want to end it on, on this mm-hmm. i kept bringing his name up where do you land on william avery I th- I personally think, you know, re- regardless of him leaving too early or whatever else, you know, fans always say about him, he was he was so good and he let's not like, I no, I can't predict the future and who knows what would have happened to him if he stayed another year or two, but the dude was dominant and you saw it coming. You saw it coming. His talent level was so sick and in, in a time where you didn't have a lot of athletes or guys like him he he was amazing, man. He's he had such floor vision. He was such a good leader. Let's not forget that. Yeah. He was a good leader. Yeah. And he played both sides of the ball so well. And uh, I see Duke, a lot of Duke fans a lot of times like to try to take shots at him just because he left too early, they say. Yep. But I mean the the guy was so good. He was such a baller. And to in, in my opinion, he has more of a body of work than than Kyrie has. But in, in my opinion, those two are similar in terms of they had probably some of the best talent we've ever seen at Duke. They just don't have the body of work to back that argument up, even though with your own two eyes, you can say it. You can say that they're two of the most talented guys, and they would have had spectacular careers at Duke. And it's just it's a shame that we didn't get to see him longer. Yeah, it would have been fun to, to see uh, William Avery with that team. Um, mm-hmm. you know, Jason Williams is a freshman. Mm-hmm. Tony Bebuza, uh Batty coming back. Chris Terrell, who ended up winning mm-hmm. the ACC Player of the Year, that would have been a, that would have been a Final Four team if you had. Oh, easily. A junior William Avery probably wins the ACC Player of the Year. Yeah, easily. Um, yeah, Carrawell doesn't win that award, but he does. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And he and he was that good. I loved William Avery. That was one of my favorite players. Um, you know, growing up and watching him play, he mm-hmm. he was a dog. He wanted it. Uh, you know, I still can see him crying on Kay's shoulder after the 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 UConn game. Yeah, it um, you know, it can't say that that guy didn't play with heart. He played with a lot of heart, especially against North Carolina, uh, especially against Maryland. If you go back and watch some of those games, uh, William Avery was my guy. I love yep. watching William Avery, and uh, yep. you know, it, it stinks the way it ended up uh, in the NBA form, but uh, it, it's nice to see that he does come back, uh, come mm-hmm. back to Duke now, uh, and interact with the uh, with the guys. Um, he's part of that brotherhood. And, yep. um, you know, we were, you know, blessed to be able to watch him play. I think he gets a long deal, like you said. But, um, hey, you know, I think next week uh, we, we, we take uh, another tour on this uh, five-point play podcast, Natural Light Sponsor <laughs> Summer Series. It. Yeah, crack one open, stay hydrated. Yeah. Put in that uh, promo code five-point play podcast. It's not going to get you any discount. But I want to see what happens. Uh, Go Duke, and we will see you as the summer rolls on. Go Duke.